Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everyone. Can two childhood friends pursue high-powered corporate media jobs, attaining impressive and hard-won success over the years, to then collectively realize their futures, their enmeshed, seemingly preordained destinies, lie within one of the most overlooked, yet formidable things most of us have and use on a daily basis? Allison Matz and Linda Sawyer, co-founders of Scura Style, have built the solid foundation for their disruptive business upon the humble, potentially dangerous, but mostly mushy sponge. Here's Allison and Linda. Take us all back, guys, because there's a, there's a cute pictures. Just saw the picture of, of you guys as, as really cute kids. So it started as really as childhood friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Second grade. Parents were friends. How did it how did it start? How do you two actually come together? What what was spinning around in the universe that brought you guys together? Mrs. Cohn's second grade class. We met there where the relationship really cemented was the second grade kind of um, grade whole grade final end of the year spelling bee. The two last remaining standing semifinalists were me and Linda. She folded on the word pulley. She left out the E. I won. I got the crown. <laughs> you still, <laughs> you is, still have it. Well, no, Linda's stolen it along with uh, my identity. <laughs> see, it, she was planning all the way back then. Very methodical. Well, literally, it. she stole it because when we were launching the business, we were doing final proofing of copy for our packaging. There was a um, a mention that the antimicrobial agent does not protect the user from foodborne illness. And we had our final copy, all the proofs, and we forgot that there was an E on the end of born. It was B-O-U-R-N-E. Well, we didn't forget. <laughs> I remember. So Linda and found, out. <laughs> she found the straggling E that she left out of pulley and saved us from hundreds of thousands of bags that would have had the most mortifying typo for two spelling bee queens. It's all about a pulley or can we buy a freaking vowel, please? Exactly. Or something. <laughs> or should we go into an e-commerce business? There you go. It's, <laughs> you can work this all day long. This yes. is, okay, so you guys, it comes out of competition from the beginning and some theft. Competition. And survival and, of the fittest. Yeah, yes. a, a little bit of larceny in there too, maybe. So that's in second grade. And then, and what? You guys just become thick as thieves from that point? Yeah, I mean, really stayed close friends for years. And then we didn't go to the same college, but, uh, you know, we were remained very, very close. And then when we both got out of school, we moved to New York City and we each began our respective career paths. And 
again, always stayed incredibly close. And um, and then eventually, you know, became suburbanites. Um, I'm sure you won't be surprised to find out, like, at the same time, five minutes away from each other. So there was a lot of symbiotic things going on in our life. Wait, but you, but you, but you went from second grade to, to college. That's a, that's a big jump. So through, (laughs) through element, through elementary school and then into junior high school, you guys are in classes together or did you wind up going to different schools and what happened there? Yeah. I mean, there was a period of after, what, after I don't forget what grade it was in elementary school, but there was some rezoning and um, we went to different elementary schools for a while, but reconvened in back then they called it junior high school. Now it's middle school. You know, we're friends in, in, you know, through middle school, high school, college, post-college, shared summer houses as, you know, young adults. We got married this, I mean, sort of ridiculous stuff, got married the same year. Our firstborn children are nine days apart, moved to Larchmont, the same suburb, you know, by design. It was kind of like, we're, you know, let's go here kind of a thing. It's sort of silly, but it's been quite a journey. It's the real deal. What about, what about spouses, significant others? Were you guys dating the uh, similar people? Were you, were you sharing uh, friends back and forth? (laughs) (laughs) How close were you? Let's, let's just get down to it. No, we drew the line. Yeah. But always in the same social circles for the most part. Mm -hmm. Are you married? Do you have significant, significant others? Yeah, we're both married. Yeah. Same number of years. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't marry guys who were also really tight where they were friends, right? Or did you? Not before. Not before. They they didn't know each other. Okay. But it's all love now. Everybody, everybody gets, gets along. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like family. Allison, you, you moved through companies, uh, significant ones uh, and significant executive positions. Linda, it looked to me like you were a lifer at, at your firm at, at Deutsch. It felt like a lifer. I was there 27 years. I was actually in the business though for six years before that. So I worked at a a number of agencies before. Um, But then, yeah, it was a, a remarkably long time to be, especially in advertising. But for both of you, Allison, Linda, for both of you, uh, a corporate, uh, a corporate path, right? Mm-hmm. And now, total entrepreneurs. I mean, you're you're out there, and you're out there. You've had Scrubby now for last four plus years. Is that right? Yeah. It, yep. Not been in the four. market for uh, you know a little over the, the end of 2017. We launched the very end. How, how did it actually start? We were in, you know, different careers, but obviously related and similar. And we always talked business in addition to, you know, personal things. And, you know, over the years, we always talked about, you know, one day what's going to be next and started to talk about one day doing something together, what the, the it was we hadn't quite determined. In in my corporate life, as, as the, you know, the core business that I had grown up in was really starting to contract, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to need to do some sort of a reinvention if I wanted to remain doing something that I that I loved and could be passionate about because I felt that uh, opportunities were going to continue to to dry up so that started my wheels spinning Linda's circumstances were were, were different Al- um, Allison let me interrupt though what, what was happening in the marketplace where you you picked up your eight ball and go mm, you know I'm not liking what I'm seeing here I mean I've worked at a, a very, very long list of, you know, what had been major consumer magazine brands and very few of them exist today. If they do exist, it's in a very different size footprint as a digital brand, you know, starting really in like 2008, 2009, uh, it just started to contract. There were fewer and fewer opportunities for someone at my level. You know, there was the opportunity to to kind of translate those skills into other media types, which I, which I did. Um, to a degree, the interest and the passion wasn't quite there for me uh, as it had been when the magazine world was interesting and exciting. Not only did you see the writing on the wall, but you, you really, as you said, you you just didn't feel the passion for that new iteration of the business as you did for the traditional uh, magazine business. Is that right? For the, ma- the majority of my career, I had the great fortune of having my job be my hobby. You know, I really loved what I did and 
and as you know, when you're, you know, a, a mother and you're making choices in terms of where and how you're spending your time, it's really important to love what you're doing. If you can have that, you know, opportunity and I stopped loving it, you don't do great work when you're not really passionate about something. No question. No question. Linda, were you experiencing, since you guys are so symbiotic, were you, <laughs> were you experiencing sympathy pains or I mean the same kind of, same kind of thing in your career path? Yeah. I mean, I think Allison was experiencing some of those things much earlier than me. I mean, you know, I had the very good fortune, especially at Deutsch because of the role that I had that, you know, I had so much ability to impact the course of our business. Um, having said that, probably much later than Allison, you know, because we had, our business was doing quite well for many years. We had very, very healthy, strong business. And, um, and then I too start to see the writing on the wall in terms of, you know, it's just being such a um, challenging environment for advertising agencies and a, a really, the, the just the model was becoming more and more unhealthy. And so even though we were still doing well, it was, you know, quite painful to uh, continue to keep up that pace. I started to think the same thing that, you know, I was like, what is next for me that can sort of reignite me and get me really excited again about what I'm doing and, and to have, and I think a big piece for me was uh, to have more control um, because even though I had control in the role as CEO of the agency, you know, you're in the service business with clients and um, obviously they play a very significant role in the direction of their business. So I was looking for something where I would have that much greater control in terms of charting the course for the business itself. Did you get to that point, Linda, where you're just in that, one, that meeting that was one meeting too many and you just went, you know... And just threw everything down on the table and said, I'm going to sponge land. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't quite like a singular breaking point um, at all. You know, it was more that I, you know, could see the trend for the business itself. Also, you know, paralleled with Allison sort of having this itch earlier and, you know, we just started to really brainstorm about, well, what could be next, you know, and we were really like, you know, throwing all sorts of things around before we arrived at, you know, the place that we are. How long of a time passed from the time that you guys were feeling this kind of this itch when you just, you weren't feeling fulfilled any longer that you started spitballing ideas and, and what were some, if there were, of the other ideas? Wow. <laughs> Actually did span quite a number of years, but the combination of the fact that it really could, for the most part, only happen on the weekends. And then secondly, we just, you know, each had different points within, whether it was our career or personal things that it just like we couldn't, you know, dedicate the time and energy to really, it, I mean, it takes a lot of time and energy to try to discover what can be next. But I would say it was, you know, at least five years. Once we landed on, you know, pursuing this business, uh, we really remained, got very focused and uh, literally dedicated every Sunday to getting together for a few hours. And, you know, it was a huge sacrifice because, you know, our, our you know, weekend time was so precious for not only ourselves, but our family. And, um, but we felt like it was the only way to do it. And in fact, we called them Skura Sundays. And we joked for many years that it was either going to be the most longest, most expensive play date in history that <laughs> either amounted to something or didn't amount to something. So yes. fortunately, we landed on the side that it amounted to something. Were your spouses, as you, as you guys were going into the longest play date ever, were, you, were they supportive from the beginning? I mean, because you guys, it's hard enough making the leap that you both made, I think, coming from, even when it's getting shaken down to the foundation, coming from, I'm going to say a traditional kind of corporate path, and then making that jump into the unknown to be an entrepreneur is a bit, it's, it's a big one to do it with children, man, mm -hmm. even bigger to mm -hmm. do it with children when you're the mom, even bigger. Mm -hmm. It's awfully impressive what where you were, where you are, and where you're going, I think. Were your spouses supportive 
from the beginning um, when you were going through the just the spitballing and ideation and just hanging out and trying to find your way? I mean, my husband was a bit skeptical and hesitant to, I mean, he was supportive and, and believed, you know, if I believed in it, he ultimately believed in it, but it was a, a, a leap for him because we were giving up a lot. You know, I was giving up a, a career that where, you know, the, the compensation was great. The perks were incredible, particularly in the heyday, you know, it, it's, he still talks about, you know, how great things were and the things we got to do and so on and so forth. And when the business was changing and I, again, didn't, those things became less important as opposed to doing something where I was really challenged and fulfilled and learning and, and, you know, had, you know, true ownership, you know, and something that was going to make me happy and get me excited, you know, for Monday to roll around as opposed to the opposite. So he has, is supportive, but it, it, you know, it hasn't been easy. You know, it, it was a, it, it took time to, to get him to come around. And he's still coming around. Uh, there you go. Still process. <laughs> what, may I ask, what does he do? What is your husband? What line of work is he in? He's an attorney. A bit risk averse by nature? or Abs- Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Quite similar. Um, you know, I think my husband was a bit surprised that I would give up, you know, such a big job. And, uh, and I think it was sort of also not quite sure, like, <laughs> could something like this really take off? You know, I mean, it was a little foreign to him as well. Like really sponges and cleaning supplies. And at the same time, he did say like, listen, you have killed yourself and you deserve it. And you, you know, obviously um, have earned the right to, you know, to take a different, you know, course. And so, you know, so I think it was, um, there was some hesitancy, but support at the same time. What does your husband do? Is he working now? Yeah, he, so he had a PR firm and he sold it um, and he's been, I'd call him semi-retired in that he does some consulting and then he's on a couple of boards um, that he's, and one in particular that he's very active in. You guys were fortunate in that you had big careers with, with big salaries and you were doing well. You, you had some protection, but, but still relative to the change you were about to make, it's, it's a big one. You had to get buy-in. Was there kind of a, kind of a pitch for Allison and, and Linda going, Hey everybody, here's what we're doing. Yeah, I think we did, you know, they, they first of all knew what we were working on and because, you know, we, did such, uh, you know, significant due diligence for ourselves because we actually, you know, wanted to really, really vet it and make sure that we thought there was something really big here um, to, you know, warrant making such a big leap that by the time we got to the point where we believed like this, there's something really big here, you know, that's when we were prepared to say we want to make the move. And I mean, what I think both of our husbands know about us is that, you know, we're so overly responsible and really, really calculating about everything that it was, yes, a risk, but a very calculated risk. Were there any other competing ideas or did it immediately hit for you guys? You know what? Sponges. Hadn't thought about it before, but the world turns on sponges. (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, there were other ideas, but not even worth mentioning because they're they're not they're none of them were as exciting as sponges. But <laughs> Linda, you tell the sponge story. Actually. Well, yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, well, if you told me you saw that embarrassing picture Sorry. on our website of me in my rubber gloves doing the dishes, looking like someone just told me I won the lottery to go to Disney World, but <laughs> but that I get to wash the dishes. And I look that excited. I mean, this comes from a very genuine, authentic, <laughs> long, long plagued, clean freak freakism. Are you a Virgo girl? I'm not a Virgo. Not a Virgo. I'm a Taurus. Oh, Taurus but, coming up. Okay. And look, yeah. wait, let's 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 get the astrological pairing here. And okay, so Linda's Taurus and and Allison Aquarius. Oh, and you said it like an Aquarian. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Very good for astrology fans out there. All right. So, so you have, you are a clean freak. You, and do you share that? Do you, do you both share that? 
I'm not as much of, I, my house is spotless and neat as can be, but I'm not as much of a clean. I don't, I don't get immense joy out of washing the dishes. Let me put it that way. Okay. <laughs> it's a, that's, it's a chore to me. Uh-huh. So, okay. But while Linda's a clean freak and she'll tell the story of how, why sponges, I loathed sponges. I, they, I wouldn't have them in my house. To me, they were the most disgusting thing. I was afraid to touch them. Ah. So I, I wouldn't even have them in my house. Okay. They which were, is kind of interesting. Yeah. Right, let's hear the sponge story. Linda. Yeah. Let's so, hear so, you know, I always was really into home design. And in fact, one of our clients for many years at Deutsch that I personally was very, very involved with was Ikea. So I just was always very passionate about home furnishings and decorating and um, design. And I was perplexed for many years. I thought about it, actually, which was, how is it possible that the kitchen, which is the centerpiece of people's homes, and it's the heart of the home and where even more than ever people, it's not just for eating, it's where people, it's their home office and their kids do homework. And when you're entertaining, you can't get anybody out of the kitchen. And so um, and the fact that there's been this incredible innovation across the board in terms of design, um, both aesthetic and performance. And, you know, what used to be really dull and benign things like uh, dish racks or paper towel holders are now, you know, practically pieces of art and garbage pails that are beautiful and, and you know, closed by themselves and, you know, just all this stuff. And I just was kind of, you know, really shocked at the fact that this thing that's front and center, the kitchen sponge, was so ugly and really dated looking and institutional, you know, the green, the typical green and yellow or the blue and blue, and that, and, and beyond just the aesthetic that they're disgusting and they smell. And so um, one day in one of our brainstorming sessions, I did say to Allison, you know, I've had this like crazy thought for years and I, you know, and I brought it up and Allison, who, you know, is a sponge, spongephobe, she was sort of like, oh my God, like that is so crazy when you think about it. And, and our big question was, how is it possible? Why can't this thing be beautiful? And that was, you know, and, and create a sponge that people would actually love. So um, once we kind of like it clicked, that you know, really kicked off our journey in terms of trying to, you know, really figure out what was going on. And the first question we wanted to almost answer was, how is it possible? Like, why, why has this been the last bastion of the kitchen that is the only thing that hasn't been innovated in years? Where did Score Sundays happen? Were you guys at a Starbucks? Were you in your basement? Were you in, where did you guys do this? Where did it go down? We were usually at your house, Linda, right? Yeah. On your mm-hmm. kitchen table. Yeah, mm-hmm. kitchen table or yeah. a, a little garden room. And so we would, yeah. yeah, work mostly from my house. And you'd be left alone. You didn't have the kids. You didn't have the husbands. Nobody was bothering you. The dog, you guys were actually able to carve out. What was it? Was it typically a couple of hours? A couple hours. A couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the, kid, and the kids at the time were, you know, not babies anymore. Right. You know, they were kind of high schoolish, college maybe age. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, where so they not, were. you know, so it wasn't, they didn't want us to play with them. Mm-hmm. Got it. And on this particular day, recreate that moment. Do you go and pick up the spinach? This thing. And Allison goes, Oh, get it away. Get away. It's filthy. I mean, did you go, why this, this, it hasn't been innovated. The sponge insight um, happened before Skur Sunday. We're casually, occasionally brainstorming ideas, you know, on the phone or whatnot. We hadn't kind of officially started our weekly play dates, but I, you know, as we were constantly brainstorming different ideas, I think over the phone one day, Linda shared the notion of why hasn't someone created a great sponge? And that was sort of this aha moment. The researching started like, what are they made of? Who, how are they? Why are they so ugly? Who owns the market? What, you know, why has anyone done this? And, and, and at the time, there was a lot of other interesting disruptions starting to happen. I think it was right around the time that Warby Parker had come to market in the early days and and Bonobos and a lot of um, direct-to-consumer things. And we were like, okay, there's th- this is an industry that is ripe for disruption. 
we're going to figure out how to do it. Did you figure out, Allison, or did you learn why it had not, why it had just been sitting there since the, what, 20s, 30s? Or, I mean, why had, no, was it just completely overlooked? Yeah, it is, it is um, you know, so there's a monopoly, 3M, or as we call them, Big Sponge, really owns the majority of the market Big share. Big Sponge? Is in, that- the, in the U.S. Big do, you guys have a, yes. do you guys have a t-shirt line yet? Because I, I really tried, I'll tell you, I, I really I really tried to find Agnes Gooch from Mabe going, I'm your sponge for you guys. I really wanted, <laughs> that was going to be a soundbite. And I, I can usually Google, you can Google anything and I can't find, I could find the live, you have to live. I could find that clip. I could not find the, I'm your sponge. And I really thought I'm going to crush him when I find this thing. And I failed. I oh, couldn't get it, really but I wanted funny. a few. I wanted a few both. Well, I'm not wearing I'm not wearing a t-shirt with big sponge across you my should, chest. You should you so. should be. You should be. Okay. That's another podcast. We'll talk about that later. So Big Sponge, you got 3M. Yeah, and so they own the majority of the real estate at retail. They own the it, vertical, the cellular supply, which is what most sponges are made of, and they don't do any significant marketing. And probably laughing all the way to the bank. So, you know, why reinvent something that is likely a, a cash cow? And and interestingly, when we first started exploring and investigating, talking to people, and, and why we went with a, a direct-to-consumer model to launch was that, you know, buyers, retail buyers are kind of you know, complacent too. It's like, well, consumers aren't asking for other alternatives in the sponge category. So why should we take a risk? So there, it just, it's a low interest category that nobody thinks about. And then people have just accepted um, this, you know, kind of, this is what's out there. This is what I buy and my run to the supermarket. I don't like it, but I've learned to live with it. And there you go. And when we did um, consumer research uh, and weren't quite surprised by this, but it's like no one's really actively thinking about their sponges because there are no alternatives and they're so conditioned to go to the supermarket and just pick those things up. But when you ask consumers about it and even slightly scratch the surface, it unleashes what we call this universal hate affair, which is I think they're disgusting, they smell, they're ugly. They often bring up, you know, issues they have in their relationships, whether it's with a spouse or a partner where, oh, I can't get him or her to throw it out. And like, there is actually a lot of aggression when it comes to your sponges. But once again, people have had no outlet because they're just up until now been so few alternatives. Have you thought about a therapy or counseling channel for, <laughs> for people with the, that pent-up aggression tied to this seemingly yes. innocuous? <laughs> what is the, what is the, I'm thinking O-Cedar, You're, you guys are talking and is that, is that right? Is that, that's a brim Yeah, that's a brand. Mm-hmm. Right, is that a brand? Do they uh, just put their, their brand on something that 3M is manufacturing or who, so you mentioned 3M, who, who are the big three? Well, so 3M, um, the, the big brand is Scotch-Brite, and then they have a, another brand called Ocello, which is their- That's it, Ocello, of, not Ocello. Yeah, Ocello. yeah, they're yeah. kind of um, designer brand, if you will, with designs and prettier colors, I guess, if, if you like hot pink and orange. Uh, so they're the, the biggie and own about 74% or so of the market and had been, as far as we uh, as far as we know, a big supplier of raw materials for a lot of private label sponges as well. Um, and then O-Cedar um, is, a, is a brand. The rest of the market is mostly made up of private label. Um, the other kind of notable player is Scrub Daddy, which was, you know, big Shark Tank success and has carved out a big chunk of business. To us, it was, um, it is and continues to be very encouraging because it, it demonstrates that there is, you know, a huge appetite for innovation, that consumers will respond to something new. The core Scrub Daddy product is not truly a sponge. It's uh, basically a scouring device. 
there is an appetite for newness um, if you put it out there and get consumers to know that it's there. Are they all cellulose? It, I mean, aside from natural sponges, the sponges that we're talking about, are they made from cellulose? So the majority of the, the 3M products are made of cellulose with uh, a non-woven fiber that is the scouring surface, that kind of hairy side, if you will, that scours. That That's the majority of sponges on the market are made of those materials. Is that, is that the technical name, the hairy side? So <laughs> yeah, call it? exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm picturing, exactly. you, I'm picturing you guys in your lab coats in front of the whiteboard, yes. just going, yes, and, yes Harry's yes. got it. Okay. Um, the, the scrub daddy is a synthetic material, proprietary material, or, but there are others that have very similar ones. Our sponges are made of polyurethane foam and the scouring surface is made of an acrylic coating. And those combination of materials are what make the sponge perform and behave so much differently and so much better than traditional cellulose sponges. The um, polyurethane foam, it has um, properties that enable it to be as absorbent as cellulose. The absorbency is really the only true benefit to cellulose. It is very absorbent. But in that absorbency is also where all of the the negatives come because it is a breeding ground for bacteria. Bacteria, of course, yeah. yeah. So um, the polyurethane foam that we use is as absorbent as cellulose. However, it does dry much more quickly. They also, um, we also treat ours with an antimicrobial agent that inhibits the growth of odor-causing bacteria, mold, and mildew. So it um, dries faster, and the antimicrobial agent means that there's, you know, a far less likely chance of gross things um, breeding on your sponge. Not completely immune, but but far less immune to bacteria growth. And then the coating, the scouring side, the acrylic, um, is really amazing because it, it does an incredible job at doing what it's supposed to do, which is scour. However, when you are scouring, say, a you know, cheesy omelet pan, the egg and the cheese rinse right off. Whereas when you use a traditional sponge with that, as I said, the hairy side, there's no way you're getting that cheese and egg out of that scouring surface. You know, yesterday's breakfast is sitting on your sponge for days to come, which also you know, adds... hairy side with eggs, cheese. Yeah, I mean, this it, is the, the, the imagery. It's not is a good just, look. Yeah, no, it's, it's, not, it's disgusting. Just, yeah, we need a minute here. Yes. I think we need a minute for everyone to regroup. So... Yes. Anything about this proprietary or patented for you guys? Because it sounds truly innovative. So there are some other products in the market that use um, elements, say, same materials or similar combinations of materials. Um, there, the couple of differences of what that what we're doing that is unique. Um, one is also the overall look and aesthetic of the sponge. We purposely most sponges uh, use sort of the, if you will, the scotch bright colors of blue on blue or green and yellow. Even all the private level label product in the world is kind of looks the same, which is that industrial look or maybe was designed in the 1940s when, you know, green and yellow were the kitchen colors du jour and they haven't changed. We design our sponges with a, you know, beautiful gray colored foam to go with the stainless steel that's in most kitchens. And then we have a very sophisticated color palette on the scouring side. And we also like to say that it, you know, is a quote unquote designer sponge because it is, you know, unquestionably a scura style sponge because it has a beautiful monogram pattern on the scouring surface. Kind of like, you know, when you're walking down the street, you recognize a Louis Vuitton handbag because of the monogram. You walk into someone's kitchen, you know whether their sponge is a scura-style sponge or not, based on the monogram. Um, but the genius thing that we did, and this is completely proprietary and no one is doing it, is the monogram is designed to fade with use in about one to two weeks, depending on your level of use, as a visual indicator that it's time to change your sponge. Because even though our sponge harbors far less bacteria than traditional cellulose sponges, they are not 100% immune, and leading microbiologists recommend that you toss your sponge every one to two weeks. You know, the traditional methods that people have tried to, uh, quote-unquote, sanitize don't really do an adequate job. And the only true way to know that you're cleaning with something that is clean is to not keep it forever. We have a, 
uh, phage, we call it our phage change technology, which is a trademark term that is that visual indicator of that fading design. Putting them in the microwave, bleaching them, these are not great things to kill the bacteria. And they, they break down the sponge too, right? Well, first of all, microwave is can be dangerous because it keeps so much water that there could be hot spots that you don't realize and you can burn yourself. But the bigger thing is that they both will kill bacteria, but they tend to kill the weaker bacteria. So the stronger bacteria that are on the sponges, actually it's like survival of the fittest and they have more, it gives them more real estate to spread more quickly. So the really only effective way to clean your sponge is to soak it in bleach for like up to four hours. And I don't think anyone's going to do that, nor should they. Um, So, you know, that's why we came up with this simple mechanism that really, you know, every microbiologist will say you just should really toss them because, you know, they do um, carry bacteria. You know, one of the reasons that we also came up with this is because when we did research consumers actually readily admitted to this complacency about sponge replacement. The irony was they did so with sort of apology and embarrassment. Like, I don't know why I keep them. They're disgusting and I'm sort of embarrassed. And so consumers, this has been one of the attributes that consumers have really responded to. Like, I'm so happy I don't have to think about it. It's like a foolproof way of just knowing exactly when to get rid of them. Linda, please, please tell me you have video of sponge confessions where people <laughs> just, they have their faces just blocked down. They just, you know, the the rectangle across their eyes. I just, I'm sorry, I do key. I, I've got, mine is four months. I've got this sponge. I almost got mugged the other morning when I walked into the kitchen. The bacteria was so strong. We do walk into people's homes and do, um, we call them sponge interventions. Yeah, this is good. Also good. Also good. <laughs> we, used to, we used to, back in the day, we used to have a lot of meetings with various people. A lot of times we were in like WeWorks and whatnot, where there's all those shared pantries. Yeah. And we would literally walk around the WeWorks and like remove the sponge that was sitting there with the, you know, sink full of everyone's coffee mugs and replace it with one of ours. Just, just for the well-being of the we work employees. I'm just, I'm just seeing like a sponge mobile <laughs> coming up, you know, lights flashing, stand back, tape off the area, sponge, sponge intervention. Mm-hmm. How important with this cycle of you talking about uh, every microbiologist worth, worth his or her salt saying one to two weeks, toss these things. Where does sustainability fit in from mm-hmm. cradle to grave for your product? Mm-hmm. You know, these are man-made materials. They um, do add to the waste stream. Our way to manage that responsibly is we do have a recycling program in partnership with a company called TerraCycle. And TerraCycle's mission is to make anything and everything in the world recyclable through um, some mechanisms. So we have a program where consumers can um, request prepaid envelopes. They can then collect their retired sponges and then send them back to TerraCycle. And then TerraCycle returns the materials back to their kind of original state, and then it can be repurposed. Cellulose, which is what traditional sponges are made of, um, is, is a, a originally a plant-based material. However, most of the cellulose sponges, while they are start with a plant-based material, the non-woven fiber that's glued on is not plant-based. They're filled with dyes. So they're, they're not biodegradable anyway. And we were the first sponge in, in the U.S. to participate in a, this kind of a recycling or, or you know, take back um, stewardship, pro, stewardship program. You know, when it comes to cleaning, efficacy really trumps all. You know, you want something that is going to actually be clean, get things, things, get things clean, work well. It was a much more important factor to get a sponge that could actually work, inhibit the growth of bacteria than to have something that might be able to be composted or biodegradable. But we did solve for it with the TerraCycle program. Is that something that you feel your demographic is interested in or responds to? You know, our demographic is very broad. And so I think, you know, it just depends on, you know, the particular person. I mean, surprisingly, we we get very few like proactive outreach about that issue. And I think it goes back to what Alison was saying. It's because 
when it does come to cleaning, that is the priority. And in fact, it was very interesting because at the beginning of COVID, there were a lot of articles about sanitizing and cleaning products. And there were a lot of articles about that fact that, you know, they, it was almost like put your, you know, environmentally friendly cleaning products because they, they, to the side because they really don't work as well. And at the very beginning, when we had our wish list of everything we wanted to accomplish with this, which was the bar was very high, you know, environmentally friendly was definitely on our list. But unfortunately, we the, the materials just don't exist that are efficacious if they're environmentally friendly. So that's why we conceived of, you know, this partnership with TerraCycle. And it's an interesting approach to this very persnickety problem that plagues everything we use, everything we build, and everything we toss out. So that's good for the end-of-life portion of the cycle, uh, of the life cycle. What about in the fab process? We outsource the manufacturing. You know, we, we do manufacture our core products here in the U.S., so that is a definite plus in terms of um, sustainability, in terms of, you know, transportation time. In fact, we we warehouse our product uh, within a few miles of where our product is, the fabrication's final landing spot. So Totally American-made? The sponges are 100% American-made, and our scouring pads are 100% made in the U.S. We do have some other products in our lineup that are not sourced in the U.S. Still great to have a couple of things in the product yeah. line that are mm-hmm. 100% mm-hmm. American-made. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know, we reduce our, our footprint, if you will, through as many measures as we can. You know, as, you know, the transportation from, you know, factory to warehouse is, is minimized. You know, it's literally within the same state an hour away. So there, there are things we do as best we can and, and what are, what's in our control from a sustainability perspective. Has the company hit its milestones now based on, um, I'm assuming you had an initial pro forma. Are you pacing with your pro forma? Have you exceeded it? We definitely have been on pace with what we were anticipating. However, I will say um, that since COVID, which is you know clearly not a good thing, we did benefit from the pandemic. You know, we experienced from mid-March of last year to, you know, still now quite a big spike. And that was without a change really in any kind of marketing investment or messaging. And simply that people are, A, just cooking and cleaning like crazy. And we found that not only did that drive the acquisition of new customers, but that even our existing customers and customers that are subscribers and get regular shipments were reaching out saying, I need extra shipments and, you know, can I double my order for this or can I get a special stock up bundle? So there was that dynamic. And then the second uh, was just that, you know, what was sort of considered more germaphobe type of behavior and, you know, people that would, you know, absolutely be attracted to a product like ours, that's just become so mainstream now and that people cleaning and, you know, kind of being neurotically clean is almost like more normalized in an act of love. You know, we've had a real big boom since COVID. You know, we've had some, you know, challenges in terms of there have been some slowdowns in our manufacturing. Unfortunately, it hasn't impacted the consumer and we were able to manage through it. it. We lost a lot of sleep. So just the timing in the marketplace for you guys for introducing this direct-to-consumer product, the technologies that are available to us allow you to run uh, and scale a business like this in a fairly lean way. Where from here, ladies? Where from here? What do you see on the horizon for you and for your company? We believe that this product should be available to consumers, you know, where they want it and how they want it and when they want it. So we are definitely looking to expand our distribution. Our website, Amazon, Walmart.com, we have some other smaller websites that we sell on. We have branched into brick and mortar. We're available at Sir La Tabla stores and on their website. We ultimately see our brick and mortar retail presence increasing in the not too distant future. We have four product SKUs right now. We have trademark pending, preliminary designs on some. It's interesting because from the beginning, we even though we started with sponges and that was sort of the inspiration, 
if you will. Um, we, who ever thought sponges could be so inspiring? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we do. You know, we actually always thought about this really as a lifestyle brand and, and really elevating the whole experience that, you know, where we believe actually that we think of ourselves as not just selling cleaning products, but what, that we're in the business of kitchen well-being and kitchen wellness. And that, you know, our products beyond the functional, you know, performance aspects truly bring joy to the experience of being in the kitchen and that, and bring joy to the mundane. And so that Mm -hmm. all the thread with all of our products is that, A, they're extremely aesthetic pleasing and that they are solving, you know, real consumer pain points and that we offer really innovative performance benefits. So, you know, for instance, we sell dish towels and you might ask yourself, well, what could be so different about a dish towel? But when we did research, it's actually very few people are satisfied with their dish towels. And most people will tell you that they don't effectively dry their dishes. They're often too thick or they're too thin and they get soggy. So we've come up with the perfect weight uh, dish towel that one side is terry, one side's cotton. And it just dries so well. People like I, I don't know. I can't believe I'm gushing about my dish towel. So mm-hmm. it's really that sort of bringing that philosophy to all the products. And as I said, really elevating the experience and thinking about it, not just from, you know, you know, I'm trying to scrub by my, you know, um, roast pan. It's like we did the same thing with our scouring pads. They have all the amazing properties of our sponges. They are antimicrobial. They never smell. They're super effective. But they're also like they don't hurt your hand um, the way a Brillo pad would. They're super pliable. So they get in corners. We hear over and over from our customers like I can't believe I'm using the word love in the same sentence as a sponge. And I'm gushing about a dish towel. And so we really aim to please is the point. And um, I and I think it's so consumer centric the way we've gone about this that um, and, and I think coming from a marketing background for both of us, it's like the power of a brand and um, really standing for something and having a point of view is very differentiating. The passion in your voice, Linda, the passion in your voice, Allison, the way you're talking, I can hear and see the smile. And so while you're both old school and established marketers, there seems to be more than a fair amount of authenticity which is so rare in so many things mm-hmm. these That's days. Nice Thank, you. Thank you. And, you know, it's funny because our, you know, a lot of the customer feedback we get, uh, it's interesting how much they have personalized our brand behind us and mm-hmm. two women taking on Big Sponge. And of course it took two women to figure this out and make a change in that. And people root for that. You know, there's a, there's a real value in that. So, you know, being that kind of challenger brand underdog, you really kind of get a lot of, you know, zealots and and passionate advocates for you, which has been great. Nothing like that, right? When people are just flying the colors, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Was there a time, so now you're basking in the success. You guys started out loving each other. You're, I'm not going to say finishing because you're in, you're you're in this. This is, this is still going, man. This has got, it's obvious, but was there a time ladies where you just went, oh man, you know what? I don't know about you, Allison, but I'm done. Or I don't know about you, Linda, but I am done. Did you hit a wall, multiple walls? Was there a point where you just said, let's pull the ripcord? The entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey is really, really hard, and it's not for everybody. There have been lots of times where we've we've hit, I mean, even before we started, we hit lots of walls before we could get the product made the way we wanted it made. And we, you know, had so many stops and starts and almost aborted the mission before we even started the mission. You know, yes, there have been tons of challenges that we faced. And miraculously, we we work really well together. We managed to pull each other up off the floor when necessary. I think Linda pulls me up off the floor a little bit more than I pull her off the floor because she's the voice of reason and calm in the operation. This is, uh, I'm just, we're we're going back to our astrology moment here, guys. Okay. She's just saying that because she, yeah, she's just saying that because she feels sorry for me about the spelling bee. (laughs) (laughs) She's trying to be nice. No, I'm just more hysterical than you are. 
I, I also think that our ability to kind of power through the the downs are also there have been equally as many, if not many more, exhilarating moments. And they can happen all in the same day. You know, it's it's a roller coaster ride. You know, it's just trying to kind of plow through. And I think that because we come to this business with a, you know, a long corporate career and lots of experiences that, you know, we're not newbies and and so we're kind of, I guess, have the maturity and the experience yeah. to sort of power through weather the storms, figure yeah, stuff and, out. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know my experience and I think Allison too has been that, you know, historically when there is a problem or a really big challenge, there tends to be a solution for everything. And it may not be the one that you, you know, anticipated or predicted, but that, you know, so often um, coming out of something really bad actually comes out something much better It because it really forces you to step back and kind of look at things maybe a little bit differently than um, was more expected. And we have found that some of the toughest things when we had some experiences in the past few years with a, a third-party logistics company, that what seemed like a mini crisis at the time, we came out on the other side with something so much more superior. So if you, you know, can kind of, you know, grit your teeth through those um, experiences and have a little bit of confidence that, you know, this may be painful, but we're going to end up in a better place. It just takes some of the unnecessary stress out of the situation. Is it a stretch to reach back to the misspelled pulley and meditate on its functionality to support movement or change of direction of a taut cable or belt to exert force and how it applies to the lift Allison and Linda are doing as they exert their force and change our concept of clean and of the humble sponge? I'll leave that to you. You can see those pics of Allison and Linda then and now and shop for their products at Skura Style. That's S-K-U-R-A style.com. Thanks for hanging with Linda, Allison, and myself. I hope you'll join me again with new episodes dropping every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. If you enjoy No Bed of Roses, and I hope you do, may I ask you consider sharing the link to the show with your friends and family any episode just share the love we'd appreciate it until next time stay safe and remember you'll find no bed of roses wherever you find fine podcasts thanks see you soon bye